You are listening to the Heritage Ag Solutions Podcast here in Monmouth, Illinois. The week of October 10th brought rain, and with that, a pause to harvest progress. So we were able to catch up with Golden Harvest agronomist Brad Cook for a mid-harvest update and discuss the matters that need to be on producers' minds at this point in the season. Here is our conversation. All right. Well, today we are back with Golden Harvest agronomist Brad Cook. And Brad, it's been about a month since we talked. We last visited around mid-September, just as the combines were starting to roll. And now here we are in October. Uh, so what are you seeing out in the fields and in the plots that we have now that harvest has been in full swing for a few weeks here? Yeah, good afternoon, Justin. Um, harvest is well underway. There was a huge window of opportunity guys to harvest from you know mid-september through really just this past week now <clears throat> now we've gotten wet as you know uh everybody needed a break though i think but uh, so there's been a lot of corn come out i'd say in west central illinois two-thirds of the corn is probably out and that'll vary by micro environments or you know areas but uh, in general there's a lot of corn that came out and that, you know, and that was good. Right. So we, we preached about that a month ago. Um, stock integrity was, was not good. So uh, that message got out there, I think, because a lot of growers uh, took a lot of corn out. Um, maybe when there was some soybeans ready, right. Um, and should have been cut, but it was detrimental to get that corn out because of stock integrity with the way we finished with the hot and dry weather, as we discussed, <clears throat> as well as the disease presence that was out there. So um, overall, corn yields are good. There's, it's not a record. I'd say yields are a little under expectation um, from a grower's perspective. It's not <laughs> it's about where. I think we thought it was going to be, agronomically speaking, uh, knowing the issues that it went through there late season, early the whole season. Um, so yields aren't really surprising me, but I think they have surprised some growers. They're just not that top end that they're used to for many of those reasons that we discussed on the last podcast with disease and, and the way we finished too fast. Um, but that said, there's there's been some some really good yields. Um, there's and it's very product specific, both within our golden harvest lineup as well as throughout the the whole industry seed industry. Um, any product that had good tolerance to tar spot is really shining as far as yields go, um, and just that overall plant health um, really helped finish some products and set them apart from whether it's their cousins in a lineup or, or their competitive, um, products as well. So, um, we've got some highlights to, that we can share, um, as we go through here. So overall corn is, is, uh, at that, at that stage, soybeans really, I'd say we might be a third done and there's pockets that might be more than that, but guys really just got going. Um, most of the yields I've heard are from the early planted soybeans and, and the yields are very good. I'd say exceeding expectations um, and exceeding my expectations, knowing how we kind of had a dry finish. But we did get a few rains there in September that I think helped finish them off. A couple half inch rains here and there, <clears throat> probably too late for the corn, but it did help the beans. So 
um, really good yields, 70s, 80s. You know, of course, you can see some 90s on, on yield monitors. Um, so above expectations. I will be curious to see as we get into the more fuller season and later planted soybeans if 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 they hold i don't think they will um but will the ver the verdicts out i really haven't seen too many yields past a three five but anything from a two eight to a three five um people are growers are really tickled with the yields that are coming out especially early planted and then managed with with fungicides and seed treatments mm-hmm okay so, so back to corn, you had mentioned that products with a good rating for tar spot have really stood out this year because tar spot is, is everywhere. Um, you, can you kind of touch on briefly a couple products that we have that would be rated well for tar spot and that seem to really be uh, handling this year's conditions well? Yeah, and, and understand we really just started rating for that last year. <clears throat> tar spot's been around, I believe, since 2016 but really didn't see it until the last couple of years. And so, you know, we had some opportunity to start scoring. And then of course this year, as it has kind of blanketed the whole, the whole area um, of Illinois, at least the Northern half of it, we've got to see some really good genetic differences. Um, There's more genetic difference in resistance than I ever dreamed, you know, dreamed there could be that there really is some genetic differences. Um, both within our golden harvest lineup as, and then again across the industry, um, you can really see certain genetic lines and families by company that, that tolerate it or not. And the ones that did not really, really melted. Um, so within our portfolio, um, a lot of our genetic background has good inherent disease tolerance. Um, and, and so I was happy to see many of our strong uh, strong hybrids in our 108 to 115 day lineup really had good tolerance. But a couple specific ones that really stood out were a 110 day product, um, 10D21, and then our new 113 day product, which was 13P84. And that doesn't surprise me because they do share. Uh, one parent together in, in their background. So um, that that female is definitely helping with that genetic tolerance. But, um, you know, a couple other full season ones that surprised me were 15J91 and then our new our new 16Q82. It, both of those had, had very good tolerance as well. Um, and, and the yields are showing. So um, 10D21 has had a phenomenal year internally within our data as well as in third-party data, um, first trial data, both Illinois and Missouri, just right at the top uh, of the performance summaries. And then uh, we do a huge research study with the University of Illinois, Fred Bilo's group, and uh, some of the data from that product um, over around um, on the across their sites were was just phenomenal. Um, so it's good to know that we do have some some genetic tolerance, and that's going to be key going forward for growers on if they're going to have to ma- how they're going to manage their fungicides. Um, I truly, if if you're growing hybrids with poor genetic tolerance to that disease, you're really going to have to think about and look at a two-pass fungicide program. And I know nobody wants to think about spending that kind of money, but 
to manage the product, excuse me, to manage the disease the way I think we're going to have to, that's what the the, industry, the growers are going to have to start thinking about. And, and, and there's got to be some research on timings. I, I don't, I don't know if that's real early and then a tassel or if that's tassel and then real late, <clears throat> there's going to need to be some research on when those timings are. But if you've got good genetic tolerance and use then a premium fungicide labeled for tar spot with, with the good SDHI chemistry that gives that length of residual, that stamina <clears throat> and good efficacy I, you know, I, I believe you'll be able to to manage it with one fungicide along with genetic tolerance. So it's going to be a key decision going forward. Yeah, and on, on our farm, we had uh, two fields, same number, planted same day. One got fungicide, one did not. And we saw a, over a 40 bushel difference in yield. Uh, and if somebody had else had told me that story, I would have said, well, you're just exaggerating. You know, I wouldn't have probably written it off. But, you know, we saw it on our farm. Uh, is that what all are you hearing as far as the difference that fungicide has made this year? Anywhere from 20 to 50, 20 to 50 bushel swings. Um, I saw a huge plot in central Illinois, uh, multiple, every company in the book you know, had a, you know, multi-hybrid type plot, um, with, I believe some replication and that plot average with and without fungicide was right at that 40 bushel mark, right over 40, 40 bushels per acre. So right with what you were seeing. So that's a great example. Fred B the university of Illinois, uh, research, which I understand those are a little bit more sp- smaller plots. You're never going to see that maybe quite that big jump as you do, as you get out into spatial variants of disease and, and bigger fields. But, um, theirs were in the mid twenties. Um, across, again, that's across hybrids that have great tolerance and, and not. So it just goes back to a genetic tolerance. It can be a 15 to 20 bushel difference and it can be a 40 to 50 bushel difference. Um, depending on both the tolerance that the, the, the hybrid has to that disease, as well as then, the others that were out there, right? It wasn't just our spot that, you know, melted the corn late. It was a trifecta of Southern rust and tar spot and heat and, you know, and some Northern, Northern corn leaf blight that came in mm-hmm. in, in July. So now does crop rotation help with that? You know, I think at least in our area, a lot of growers have gotten used to corn on corn, at least two, three, or even more years. Do we need to take a look at rotating more bean acres back into the mix? Well, that's that that would be part of, of a management strategy. Um, you know, again, it, it appears that this tar spot is overwintering, which is unfortunate, uh, but it appears that it is. Southern rust is not overwinter here at least in central west central illinois um but your northern corn leaf blights gray leaf all those overwinter <clears throat> so right so crop rotation and residue management is a part is a piece i but i still will tell a guy unless you i guess you're moldboard plowing every year you know you're probably you're not going to do enough rotation and tillage to completely eradicate it but you can but but it's part of it. So it's a part of reducing your inoculum, bearing residue and crop rotation. So that, so that's a it's a piece of it. Um, but it's not a, it's not the silver bullet. Okay. 
Well, and um, and that kind of leads us into so soybeans. And another conversation that growers are having is looking at E3 beans versus you know Extend Flex beans that are now on the market. We're in a position of uh, the producer choice. We have both uh, trait packages, but. What are you seeing as far as plots and yield trials comparing E3 soybeans to ExtendFlex? Yeah, so we, we've had some preliminary data come in, um, especially up north and, and out west. There's been a lot of data. We just kind of got started here in Illinois on some group twos and, and mid threes. Um, and all data that I have seen to date um, shows what what we what we knew internally and it, it's genetics determine you know yield differences it's not the trait platform so there's multiple plots coming in where an e3 may be the top of the plot or you know maybe an e3 and then two extend flex and then an e3 um it's not the the data is not coming in extend flex you know five to ten bushels over e3s or vice versa um you know, E3 is dominating extend flex. It's every plot I've seen, it's just back, back and forth, back and forth for the most part. And quite frankly, our, some of our newer gold series E3s, um, as well as our, our current like 3582s, there's, they're, they're out yielding some of our new extend flex. So, um, very happy with, with some of the, the data I'm, I'm seeing there. Um, so again, d- data is, is, is pretty preliminary in our area. We're, we were just getting in a lot of soybean data when the rain started and uh, there's a lot of plots yet to come out, but I think producers are kind of waiting to see that if they're, you know, on, as they make their decisions and from the data I've seen to date, it's, it's not going to be a decision um, on yield, you know, E3 versus extend flex. It's going to be what platform are you going to go with from a weed management, herbicide management standpoint, and then pick your best E3 or extend flex for your farm. But as we kind of talk about the the area of soybeans and crop rotation, another factor that plays into that would be fertilizer and needs. And right now we are looking at, you know, very high uh, input prices. You know, if, if a guy's putting acres to corn, you know, more, more fertilizer, nitrogen needs. So if a grower, you know, were to be kicking around the idea, okay, where can I save some money here and there and dial back the amount of fertilizer that would be applied for next year's growing season, what are some different factors that they would want to keep in mind? Well, first and foremost, um, you don't want to run a corn crop out of nitrogen. Now, again, when you're looking at 800 Plus, and I've heard it's potentially going over a thousand dollars a ton for anhydrous ammonia. That's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Um, it, it really is, and I've heard liquid prices going up as well. Um, but the one thing I've seen in my my career is is if you let a corn crop run out of nitrogen too soon, it's you you lose yield really fast. So. Um, Again, if it, if it goes a thousand plus per ton, you know, I think that's when you really got to start looking at potentially variable rate type situations and looking at what your soil is going to give you um, from a mineralization standpoint 
um, or not. So, you know, some of these organic soils with three to 5% organic matter, they're, they're giving the grower in during the season as it mineralizes. And I think guys really need to think about that and, and, and look at that based upon their organic matter. But there's areas <clears throat> in West Central Illinois where guys are growing corn on timber soil with less than 1% organic matter. It's not giving you any. So if you want to raise 200 bushel corn, you, you can't, you know, those type of soils, you cannot skimp on nitrogen or you're, you're not going to grow it. So those are things you got to think about when it comes to nitrogen um, on whether you can dial back or not. And then, you know, of course, then, you know, you got to weigh, you got to weigh the differences. Can you go ahead and get it on now when it's cheaper? Um, if, if soils are fit, um, you know, we like to wait till that soil temperature is 50 degrees or below so that we're not we're not converting any of that to, to nitrate in the fall um so you got to watch that i definitely use inhibitors but that may be a, a management practice is to try to get out and get as much on as you can this fall um in, in good conditions if conditions are right um versus wait until the spring um or again looking at splitting up your nitrogen to where you're maybe not putting overall as much down in a one pass in hydrus you're putting it on more often but you know overall it's it's more efficient and maybe the rate per acre total is not as much so you know, guys with planter applied nitrogen and ways to side dress those are management practices that you know may help you on your total amount of of n regardless what you don't want to do with corn is run out of nitrogen um you know that said i've always been kind of proponent if you've got really good you know macronutrient levels meaning p and k in your soils there's years to to mine that out um and this and you ask about that and this this may be a year to do to do some of that what what i've come to learn just in the last couple of years again being a part of some of this u of i research with dr velo's group is the majority of their data is on soils that have been fertilized for decades and are above well above critical levels on P and K, and they are getting <clears throat> yield responses to putting down more dry fertilizer or or you know uh, P and K. That, that really surprised me, and we had that conversation on well, why is that? And it goes back to a lot of those critical levels were established back. I mean, decades, literally decades ago, in the 60s and 70s of, of you know, land grant research, where yields were, were maybe, you know, 50% for sure of, of what they are today. Um, and so that demand for more nutrients is there as we have raised the yield plateau, you know, the raised the yield curve. So, so you know, <sighs> If your soil tests are saying uh, you got you got great numbers, I'm sure you can mine some of that out of there. But what their data showed is that you know, in a high high yield management scenario where they're shooting for big bushels, there wasn't enough in the soil, even in a good soil with high fertility levels, to quite meet the demand um, of that of that total for that total high yield you know and they're pushing they've got plots where they're pushing way over 300 bushel yields so just something to think about you know 
you can't just completely rely on your soil it, to give it all to you in, in one year. Um, so I wouldn't say just completely cut out fertilizer, but I think this is a year where you could drastically reduce some of your rates of P and K if you have good soil test levels and or go to more of an efficient method with banding. <clears throat> We've talked a lot about banding, whether that's with liquid or dry, to be more efficient. And in those cases, and we've talked about this that this summer, Justin, where you can reduce rates and still be, you know, still be good to go because of your efficiency, whether that's with a liquid or dry product. So those are things to think about as you look at $700 a ton potash and, you know, $800 plus anhydrous, which I've heard may go up more. So I guess when I think about corn that's one crop i don't i definitely don't want to short it on it needs to be happy well yeah i remember this summer this summer you said you know we had a a dealer meeting and you talked about the four factors that affect grain fill and it wasn't sunlight green leaf area nitrogen and adequate moisture yes yeah so if you take pull pull away that nitrogen you know quadrant of that you're gonna have and we're seeing that some of this year, right? We lost a lot of nitrogen early due to the moisture and other factors, and we're seeing lighter grain weight and, and lower yields. That's right. Yeah. As much as I uh, hate to think about that cost per acre, that that's still, I, in my mind, one of your most important things that um, you got to think about. So, you know, with soybeans, I, I'm not saying fertility isn't important. It is. But... Um, they seem to be good scavengers of, of soil nutrients. Um, you know, we talked about their root, root architecture. It, 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 they do have a tap root, but then it's kind of like an up and upside down Christmas tree. They, they have lateral branches that, that fill then in between the, the rows. And they're, they're really pretty good scavengers of, of, of nutrients. So, um, and actually, there's research that shows where, you know, excessive rates of potash, for example, in front of soybeans actually hurts their yields. So because of the chloride piece, again, not saying you don't need to apply any fertilizer in front of beans. But when you look at the economics where they're fixing their own nitrogen, or at least most of it, and they're good scavengers for, for some of the nutrients, um, I personally think there'll be some decisions where more so you know more soybeans are being being grown this next year all right brad well that that covers just about all the questions i had for you is there anything else that's on your mind that growers need to be thinking of here the next few weeks um you know just just keep an eye out in this corn i again most people went out and and got their numbers that you know had some standability issues Uh, we were one big wind event away um from a lot of down corn but uh a lot of guys went after it. So um, I, I think this would be a good fall if we dry back up, you know, again, to think about residue management, think about ways of breaking down that residue, both from a disease management standpoint and the faster you break down that residue, you know, some of that, uh, some of those nutrients become available. So um, as we look into ways to, again, make fertilizer more efficient, um that's that's things to think about whether that's you know vertical tilling some stocks and or using cover crops um i think we've got hopefully we'll get a window to implement some of those management practices this fall 
to help with next year. So, um, so anyhow, we'll, uh, that's about all I got for today. There'll be a lot more soybean data come in, Justin, and, um, be good to have another discussion on, on yield data and, and, and where things are falling out. That does it for today. As always, thanks for listening. Now, as we continue with Harvest, reach out to us by phone at 309-337-9081, or you can email us at heritageagseeds at gmail.com with any agronomy questions, or if you'd like to take a look at some of our corn and soybean products on your farm. We are Heritage Ag Solutions, helping you leave a legacy that lasts. We'll catch you next time.